If you would, grab a Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 is where we'll begin in our studies this morning. Matthew chapter 20. So no one can ever say that we don't practice what we preach. Stephen just led that song by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight, right? No, I uh, appreciate so much the, his efforts to do that. and appreciate you all thinking along with me about uh, a song like that that I think you'll see how it's going to tie in with what we're going to talk about this morning. I need to say something before I get started and remind you about our adult Bible workshop weekend that is coming up in just a few weeks here, October the 12th, here at the building. We are studying on the topic of being devoted to prayer, and we have invited very talented and capable men from other places to come in and to teach us and talk with us, have some uh, classes and some lessons about prayer and difficult topics about prayer and some things that are going to encourage us. All of that is something that we have planned here as a congregation uh, to benefit all of us. So if you have not, what your action item is, if you have not, be sure you sign up online, register for this. Of course, registration is free, but we need to know who's coming uh, so that we can make plans and that we can prepare uh, the building and all the things that we're going to be doing in preparation for that. So I just wanted to remind you about that. Be thinking about that. Be praying about our studies about prayer uh, coming up on October the 12th. We have visitors with us. We want you to know that we're glad that you're here. Thank you for visiting with us. We want you to feel welcome here. If you have questions or concerns or anything you'd like to say, we want to get to know you better. We'd love to talk to you about the work that we do. And if we can help you in some way to draw closer to God, please let us know about that. Matthew chapter 20 comes on the heels of several different little stories that have to do with Jesus. A wealthy young man has approached Jesus with great enthusiasm and, and asked him what he needs to do to inherit the kingdom. And Jesus challenges him to sell all his possessions and give them to the poor and come follow me. And the young man goes away sad. And so Jesus then takes that as an opportunity to talk to the other disciples. And he says, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than enter the kingdom of heaven. He encourages them to, to give Leave behind. And Peter says to them, Lord, we, we've left behind everything to follow you. And Jesus says, yes, those who have left something behind will be blessed, be repaid. And then he tells them a story of what the kingdom of heaven is like. In chapter 20 and verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So we've been studying this year in the unstoppable kingdom. Jesus came declaring that the kingdom was here. It was a kingdom that has come and yet has not fully come. It has not yet been completed. And then we've been spending the last few months studying how Jesus explains the kingdom, looking through the stories he told to try to help people understand what the kingdom is like. And so what we're going to do this morning is to center our studies around three particular stories that all have one thing in common. In these three stories... The main character in the story has been given a gift. And the story hinges on the idea of what he does with the gift. And so what we're going to call this this morning is how we pay it forward. That to understand the kingdom, Jesus tells us we need to understand a principle of paying things forward. And we'll talk more about what that means in just a moment. But I want to do that by beginning by just looking through one of these stories and seeing that common thread of what it means to receive a gift and to receive it well. So let's start in Matthew chapter 20. We're just going to read here. I hope you have your Bible open to this place. Uh, it's a rather lengthy story. We're going to read the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 20 to begin with. Matthew 20 and verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like 
a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those who were hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to, do to, this last, to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So the first thing I want to say, and what we're going to start with this morning, is the idea that to, to understand the kingdom and the principle of paying it forward, don't begrudge what God does for other people. And I think that's really the crux of what this story is about. When God does good to others... Don't begrudge it. Now, the story is simple enough. The, the owner of the vineyard goes out and hires people. And the first workers he hires, he has an agreement. He agrees with them for a denarius. That is a day's wage. It was a certain a monetary amount that equated to a day's wage. But then the others, he begins to go out later in the day and later and later. And when he goes out at those times, he does not say a denarius. He just says, whatever is right. Uh, we'll pay later. We'll square up later. So, the shift in the story comes when everybody gets in line to get paid. Verse 9, look at verse 9. It says, When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. So, when the, that first group, that the eleventh hour workers, you know, they'd only worked an hour and they get paid the full day's wages. Well, you know what the other guys are thinking. They say, oh, it's my lucky day. I mean, if they're getting paid, maybe it's a denarius per hour. Maybe I lucked into something. And yet when it's their turn, then they get the same pay as everyone else. And so they're angry and they complain. Verse 11, on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. So this seems to be the attitude that the parable is addressing. Jesus is addressing the idea that they are jealous or upset at him because of what he's giving to others. And I want you to see, that's the whole point and how Jesus is going to defend God's right to make everyone equal if he wants. Verse 13, he says... Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Can I do that if I want? My goodness is not at your expense. I'm giving you what I told you I would. My goodness is at my expense. Then he says, verse 14, Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? My version uses the word begrudge there. Yours might say something like, is your eye evil because I am good? In other words, am I making you jealous? 
Jesus says that's the way the kingdom is going to work. And he says it again in verse 16. The last will be first and the first will be last. Things are going to be different. Now, the master in this story is clearly God. God is the one dispensing the gifts, dispensing the pay. But it's hard to identify who the workers are. In fact, I think it's possible that the workers are, some of them are the Jews who had been working so hard for so long to serve God. And then a little later on, the Gentiles are going to come in. The Gentiles who have been living it up for a long time and now are going to stumble onto the grace of God. And the Jews could resent those Gentiles being included. And if that's the case, that would add an interesting wrinkle to the fact that Jewish Christians in the New Testament era, you guys remember this in the book of Acts, they seem to be wanting the Gentile Christians to have to keep the law. They want them, you need to be doing what I had to do for so many years. But the point, whoever these workers are, is very simple. When God gives gifts to other people, don't begrudge them. They will be unfair. And that's the whole idea. This is the same spirit that Jesus describes when he tells the story of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son comes back after wasting his father's living by doing some awful things. And he comes back and the father receives him and welcomes him. But you have the older brother who won't even come in the house, and he's standing out there mocking. Dad, how could you do this? You know, I've been here all this time. You didn't even give me a goat. And now this guy, this scumbag, comes back home, and he's dragged your name through the mud, and you're going to kill the fattened calf for him. That's not fair. And the, the father says, son, all that I have is yours. It's right for us to celebrate. It's so clear that God is right. And the one who is begrudging what God has done for someone else is wrong. So let's take a step back from that. What is Jesus saying about the kingdom? Jesus is saying that the kingdom is not a meritocracy. We love a meritocracy in America. We think that the best people should get the best job. The ones who work the hardest and do the best job. They should be the ones in the positions of the best, the highest influence. But that's not the way the kingdom works. And Jesus is also saying the kingdom is not an aristocracy where if you're born into the right family, if you're one of the right ones, then you get all the blessings. Jesus says the kingdom is a monarchy. And a monarchy is where the king does what he wants. And he does not ask opinions. What do you think about what I've done? Now the good news is, he's a benevolent king. He's a good king. But he does not ask our opinion about his grace. He is not interested. Now these... Stories show that begrudging is really an attack on God. Think about the paycheck line. Who do they get angry with? They don't get angry with their fellow workers. They get angry with the one writing the checks. Who is the older brother angry with? He's not angry with his younger brother. Well, maybe a little, but he's really angry with his father who has welcomed him. See, when we begrudge what God does for others, we're mad at God. God, this isn't fair. But these stories also show that when we begrudge what God does for others, it says a lot more about us than it does about God or about others. It's about me. I can claim it's about justice. I can claim, Father, how could you let this son who dragged your name through the mud and wasted all your money, how could you welcome him back? I say it's about you, but really it's about me. I want the attention you're giving him. I want the blessings that you're shelling out for him. 
These stories show us that grace is not a zero-sum game. You know what a zero-sum game is? That's where if God gives a blessing to someone else, he takes it away from me. Instead, there's enough blessing for everyone. God can keep giving and giving and giving because he's God. So you might ask, well, how do I do that? How do I begrudge what God does for others? Well, it seems like to me this is a very simple thing for us. We just begin to compare ourselves to other people. And we look around. Usually we don't look around at people who have it worse than we do. We don't really compare ourselves very often to people who live in third world countries, for example. And ask the question, well, why is, why is God so unfairly good to me? Instead, we look at people who we think have it better than us and compare ourselves to them and then get frustrated about that. And so we ask some questions like, well, I see that person. I mean, how hard has their life been? Or how much money do they have? How many traumas have they suffered? What was their home life like? And so, so then we begin to say, well, it sure looks like I've had to go through worse than they've had to go through. Or I've been given less than they've been given. And so I begin to say, well, that's not fair. Sometimes we compare talents. You know, there are people who have all the talents. There are people who are good at everything. And for those of us who are merely human, that's kind of frustrating, isn't it? We look at them and we say, that's not fair. Sometimes it may be that we look at them like these people in the story and somebody comes to faith in Jesus later in life and they get to do a lot of awesome things and sin before they do that and that just doesn't seem fair. Or maybe they seem to just have it a little easier than we do. Their battles seem a little easier. Things go better for them and we look at them and we say, that's not fair. In fact, why don't we just say it this way? Anytime we are tempted to use those words, that's not fair fair, we are probably begrudging what God has done for someone else. We are complaining about God, and we're not very grateful for what we have been given. So, we have received gifts. In fact, the people in this story, I believe, are intended to see their payment as a gift. They've been enlisted in this work, and now they are blessed for it. So don't begrudge what God has given someone else. Instead, pay it forward. We'll talk more about what that means in just a moment. All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 25. Let's read a second story here. Matthew 25. <clears throat> this story is going to tell us to use God's gifts. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. Matthew 25 and verse 14. For it will be... Now that it is, going back to verse 1, the kingdom of heaven. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he had the two talents, made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, 
I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So man gives money to his servants, each according to his ability. Five talents to one. But talent, by the way, here is money. This is not talents like we would talk about a gift. Talent was a weight. So he gives him five pounds of money. And he goes and makes five pounds more money. And then the other, he gives two talents, and he goes and makes two pounds more money. And then there is the third man, who is, it seems to me, the focus of the story. In verse 18, it says he received it. He went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, the goal is that as this master has entrusted some money to these different men, is that they go and they make more and they use it. So that when the master comes back, he will say, what did you do with what I gave you? And they're able to give a good account. Well done, good and faithful servant. And when that happens in this story, like in verse 21... His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There are greater blessings, greater opportunities, greater roles for those who are proved faithful, dependable, trustworthy. But that man who went and took his one talent and buried it in the ground. Look in verse 24 with me. Verse 24 says, he who also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. It's very interesting to me that the man starts his explanation by attacking the master. I knew you were a hard man. I knew you were going to come back and you were going to rake me over the coals. So here, here's your money back. Isn't it interesting, though, that the master says, Oh, no, this isn't about me. You wicked and lazy servant. This is about you. You can, you can blame it on me, but this is about your laziness. You didn't want to do anything. And so because you didn't want to do anything, you're going to blame me and get mad at me? He says, oh, no, that's not what's happening here, you wicked and lazy servant. If that was really your motivation, if you were really worried about how strict I am, you would have gone and taken it to the, the bankers and gotten some interest. But that's not the case. You weren't worried about me. You were worried about you. So again, Jesus concludes by saying, God is going to distribute his blessings in an unfair way. Did you notice that in verse 28? Take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. For from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That is unfair. Isn't it? Everyone who has will get more and he who doesn't have will have even what he has taken away. That's unfair. But it's according to the will of the master. 
So what's the point of the story? I say use God's gifts. I think of the talents here, the, the money. Not as money, strictly, and not as talents or you know, abilities that we have, because they're given each according to his ability. I think of these as opportunities, that God has given us opportunities according to our ability, what we can do, the time that we have, and he has given us what he has because he knows what we can do with it, and he wants us to. But the danger in this story is that we'll simply hold on to what we've been given without using it for others or for God. We bury our opportunities and our blessings in the sand instead of using them for others. There's a story I want to read that's going to help, I think, with interpreting this. Look with me in Luke chapter 12. It's a shorter story. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse 16. It says, Luke 12 and verse 16, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. I'm in Luke chapter 12, verse 17. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared... Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this is a story about greed and selfishness. Someone who is only focused on themselves. And so as they begin to make more money, they say, what am I going to do with this? I'm just going to start building bigger and bigger and bigger so that someday I can put my feet up and just finally enjoy it all myself. That night his soul is required of him. That night his life is going to end. And then he says, well, what's going to happen to all the money, all your plans? And he says in verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I want to ask you the question, what does that mean practically? Not rich toward God. I do not believe that what Jesus is saying is that this man should have given more of his money to the temple. I do not believe that he is saying somehow God didn't get enough of his money. I believe what Jesus is teaching in this place is that we are rich toward God when we use what we have to bless other people. Just like the rich man in Lazarus, the rich man who has Lazarus at his gate suffering while he sits inside his house feasting sumptuously every day and Lazarus has nothing. Rich toward God means we share what we have with others. We use what we've been given to bless other people. So, I believe this is the point of the parable of the talents. I believe this is the point of this parable of the rich fool. I believe it's the point of the rich man and Lazarus. In all of these, he is simply saying, God has given you things. Use them to bless other people. So now I need to take a moment and explain this phrase I've been using. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. This is the idea that instead of trying to repay other people who give us something, we instead take what we were going to try to give to give it back, and we give it to someone else. We give a gift, and we pay it forward instead of paying it back. So the implication as we talk about the kingdom is that because God has given us gifts, we don't just take those gifts. We surely don't pay them back to God because we could never do that. Instead, what we do is we pay it forward to other people. 
So pay it forward by using your gifts to bless other people. Don't wish away your time and your opportunities. They are gifts from God. Use them to bless other people. We have a limited number of things we can do. We have a limited number of people we can talk to. Conversations that we can have. Parents, a limited number of days where our children are in our homes. A limited number of dollars that we can spend. Use your opportunities to bless other people. Now, the other perspective is that we can say, well, I have all this money. I have all this time. I have all these relationships. And they are all gifts from God for me to enjoy. They're just for me. So I can put my feet up and say, wow, I have a sweet life. Look at all these things that I love so much. And all of those things are merely for my enjoyment. That is the man who takes his talent and buries it in the sand. It's just for me. That is this man who says, I'll just build bigger barns, bigger barns, bigger barns, so that I can have my ease. Being rich toward God means taking our gifts and not just enjoying them for ourselves, but paying them forward to others. So don't waste your time comparing to other people. And don't neglect your unique set of gifts and opportunities and relationships. God has given you something. Use it to bless other people. Pay it forward. And I want to look at one last story in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. This story teaches us to forgive like God has forgiven us. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. Matthew 18 and verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants... When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So one servant owes his master an astronomical amount, 10,000 talents. And he is ordered to be sold. But in verse 26, he begs, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And in verse 27, it says, out of pity for him... The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So it's not that they work out a payment plan. You know, I'll pay you this much, and in 10,000 years we'll get it all done. It is instead pity that says, I forgive the debt. It is over. 
the master felt sorry for him. Now imagine if you owed a debt like that. I'm sure most of us have been in debt. We know the feeling of debt hanging over us. To have a debt just forgiven, a debt that you can never repay, a debt that would ruin your life, the joy and the relief, you would say, this is a gift. But what did he do with that gift? Well, the text tells us that then he goes out and he has a fellow servant who owes him a much, much smaller amount. And that person begs in the same way, in the same words he did. And he refuses to forgive. He feels no pity. Something great should have happened here. A chain of forgiveness and kindness and joy should have begun. When the master forgives him, then he can forgive. And then that person can forgive. And so goodness continues to pass along. But instead, it ends with him. Because the man is unchanged. He's still thinking about himself. But he's not thinking about the debt that he had rung up and how he had been forgiven. Here's the point. That relief that he felt, that joy that he felt, that mercy he received, that's not an end in itself. It is to be passed forward onto other people who have hurt us and now need our forgiveness. Now, to be sure, there are limits to the comparison here. Forgive like God has forgiven you. We don't forgive precisely like God. And certainly my forgiveness means a lot less than God's forgiveness. But there is a connection. And the connection is this. If God has blessed and forgiven you, if that clean slate has changed your life, if that debt was more than you could ever repay, then won't you pay it forward to the people who owe you, to the people who have hurt you, the people who need you to move forward and let things go? And I could just hear it. But they don't deserve it. And that's exactly the point. You don't deserve it either. None of us do. That's what the kingdom is. It's about people who are undeserving, extending grace to the undeserving, because they have been given grace, though they were undeserving. What Jesus is teaching us is that because he has begun by erasing our debt of sin, we can continue. We can break the cycle of revenge and bitterness. We can allow God's forgiveness to become our forgiveness. We can learn to let go. Now, I understand there are questions that accompany forgiveness. I understand. We, we want to ask the question, well, do I need to trust that person? Is that what it means to forgive? Or do we need to have a conversation about that? I understand there are some, some difficulties in, in ironing all that out. But I am saying, and Jesus is saying, that we pay forgiveness forward no matter what other people do. It's not dependent on them. It's based on what God has done for us. So pay it forward. Don't begrudge what God does for others. Use the gifts God has given you. Forgive like God has forgiven you. That's what the kingdom is like. I want to remind you, before I got up here, we sang a song. There is a seat. And we talked about how it describes in the first verse the Sea of Galilee that receives and receives so much water, so many blessings, and then pours those blessings forward into a, a bigger stream, the Jordan River, that flows through the land and blesses the land of Israel. And then there is the Dead Sea, 
The Dead Sea is where all the water stops. It drinks in from all over, and yet, yet it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't give to anyone. Instead, it just stays and stagnates and dies. I love that picture because it says there are two paths that we can take when we receive God's blessings. We can receive them and say, well, that's the end. God just gave this to me to make me happy. Or we can see that God has a greater purpose, that his gracious gifts can then be passed forward to others. My question is, which of those seas will you be? The kingdom is like people who pay God's blessings forward. Think about those things. There might be someone here this morning who needs to respond to the invitation of the Lord. We say this time at the end of our service for those who may be in need some kind of intervention from their brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether you need us to pray with you about some crisis in your life, some trouble you're having, some sin that you need help overcoming, or whether you've never become a Christian and you know that this is the time when you're ready to give your life over to the Lord Jesus, put your faith in Him as Savior of the world, as the Son of God, and turn away from your sins. You can have your sins washed away. You can be baptized into Christ. Become a child of God this morning. Whatever your need is, this time is for you. Please come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.